Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you tonight, let's open them together to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm not sure what memories you hold dear of your childhood. I think we probably all have many that we can look back and reflect on, and they mark our childhood, just things about the period in which we grew up. Uh, one of the things that, that I distinctly remember that I know some of you will be able to recall uh, as well, uh, in the times that we would be riding down the road and the radio on, there was a particular segment that would come on from time to time where a gentleman would tell you the rest of the story. Uh, I remember being captivated by the words and the stories of Paul Harvey, how he could uh, tell each of those uh, stories and uh, the, the communication in which he uh, went about doing so, they just they captivated me. And um, some of you probably remember those quite well. Well, tonight, as we come off of Easter Sunday, I think we would do well to remember the rest of the story. Uh, Easter is certainly uh, the climactic moment in the Christian faith. Uh, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, the cross, the resurrection. Um, uh, the victory was won at the cross. The resurrection just simply uh, verified that, that God had accepted that sacrifice, that the work was done, that Christ was the Son of God. And uh, we rejoice in all of that. But uh, there's more to the story. It continues on. And Acts chapter 1 tells us about that. It gives us the rest of the story. I want us to look tonight at these first 11 verses Because they come to us from a gospel writer, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, uh, as he deals with the continued ministry of Jesus. It wasn't as if Jesus rose from the dead and that's it, and now he's just waiting on us to get there with him. Uh, No, his ministry continues on. There's more to the story. And I want us to think about that tonight. Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Uh, Follow along as I read and hear the word of God tonight. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And may the Lord bless tonight the reading and the preaching of his word. Um, The rest of the story, the rest of the story, it continues on even after the resurrection. That's what Luke is telling us here is he gives us his sequel to his gospel. You know, we're a people who love more of a good thing, right? Uh, we love a really good movie, and we love it when there's a sequel that comes uh, after that first installment. Just think about the Star Wars sagas. Think about the Avenger movies. I, I lost count of how many Avenger movies there are now. Uh, my son could tell you he's become a fan of those, but one right after another. Why? Because uh, we want more of a good thing. Well, it's a good thing. It's a glorious thing. It's a great thing that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And there's more to it than just that. The story goes on. And that's why Luke set out to write uh, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit to give us the history of the early church. It continues on. As we think about these 11 verses tonight, I want to just kind of share with you Uh, Three things that continue on. First of all, uh, we see, as I've mentioned already in the first verse, that Luke's message continues. Luke's message continues. Uh, The book of Acts is the continuation of the gospel of Luke. This is the reason he says in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, Luke gives us the first book in his gospel. This is his follow-up, the book of Acts. Uh, We don't know much about Luke, uh, but what we do know is that he was a very diverse individual. He was obviously a doctor. Paul tells us this in Colossians 4. He was a theologian. He was a historian. He was a friend of the apostle Paul who would travel with him on his missionary journeys, uh, many times being the only one with Paul. But Luke uh, was also a writer, and a very prolific one, and we can be thankful for that this evening. Luke, in terms of volume, uh, in terms of words written, he gives us the majority of the New Testament. Uh, Obviously, Paul wrote the most books of the New Testament, but in terms of sheer volume, amount written, uh, you're not going to top Luke with the Gospel of Luke and then with Acts uh, coming on its heels. And that's what Acts is, a sequel to the first uh, work of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, He wrote these two works to give us certainty concerning the things and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, When you go back and you read Luke chapter 1, he he tells Theophilus, his assigned audience, his assigned reader uh, for his works, uh, that he wants him to be certain, to have great assurance regarding the things about Jesus. And I'm grateful tonight that we can be certain about Jesus. There's a lot of things that are uncertain in this world today, but one of the things we can hold on to and be assured of is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, the resurrection included. We can be certain that he is risen from the dead. 
He writes here, again in Acts, to an individual named Theophilus. It's a a combined name, if you will, or a two-part name. Uh, Theos and Philos, it literally means lover of God. Lover of God. And there's a lot of speculation among biblical scholars and and even uh, those who specialize in the, the writings of Luke about who this Theophilus is and if he was, in fact, even a real individual. Some believe he might have been a Roman official uh, because in Luke's gospel he addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. Uh, some believe that it could have been uh, Paul's legal defense that, that what Luke is giving here in Acts and in Luke was a legal defense uh, for his friend and ministry companion Paul. Uh, some think it could have been an underwriter of Luke's travels. Uh, somebody who was funding Luke as he was going along in all of these missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. The bottom line is we're not real sure, but I do think we can give some significance to the name that Luke does give us, Theophilus. Lover of God. Lover of God. If you love God, as the name Theophilus implies, uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are going to be special to you because they teach us about Jesus and the church. And those are two things that God loves. If you love God, you'll love what God loves, which means you'll love Jesus and you'll love the church. So as we get the rest of the story tonight, it begins by Luke continuing on with his message. But then secondly, in these opening verses of Luke's sequel, we need to notice that Jesus' ministry continues as well. Jesus' ministry continues. In the first verse, Luke tells us that he dealt with all that Jesus began to do. He began to do this. It's ongoing. It has not yet been completed. Jesus' ministry carries on. Um, It's still taking place even today. Uh, Luke is putting the spotlight clearly on Jesus. We need to always be about doing that. And and there's two things that Luke kind of points out to us. His words and his deeds. His words and his deeds. All that Jesus would do and teach. We need to take note of what Jesus says and what Jesus does. And if we'll focus in on those things, it will give great guidance to our life as those who follow Jesus and want to live for him. As we think about his ministry continuing on, there's two parts of it. First of all, Luke records for us here his ascension into heaven. His ascension into heaven. Uh, This is probably one of the most neglected and forgotten aspects of the gospel is that Jesus has ascended to heaven and is now there back in the presence of the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and his ministry there continues on. Uh, we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, and rightfully so. I mean, it's the capstone. Uh, but Jesus didn't remain here on earth. He ascended back to the Father, and that's so vitally important. It's in that location that his ministry continues. Well, what ministry is that? Well, first of all, he reigns. He reigns. Um, The tagline that we kind of use this Easter to to lead up to our Easter services, he died, he rose, he reigns. He reigns. The rest of the story is that a risen Christ is now ruling and reigning over 
all. That's happening even now. That's happening this very moment. Psalm 24. uh, You've heard me uh, probably teach from that before, preach from that before. Uh, And I've told you that Psalm 24 is perhaps my most favorite psalm. Psalm 24 is seen in the early church as the ascension psalm. It was the psalm that they would sing on Ascension Sunday, that Sunday that would mark the return of Jesus back to glory. And in Psalm 24, what we have is the King of glory coming home. It's the inquiry that goes out in the opening verses of Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. He that's not lifted up his soul to that which is false nor sworn deceitfully. Only a holy one can stand in the presence of a holy God. The second half of that psalm is someone responding to that invitation. It's Jesus Christ returning to heaven. Triumphant, victorious, Uh, cheerful in what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection. And the psalmist says, uh, open up, you ancient doors. Uh, Lift up your heads, you ancient gates. The king of glory is coming in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Jesus Christ, when he ascended, he did so to rule and reign over all. In Philippians 2 That great Christ hymn that Paul gives us there, he tells us that God has highly exalted his son Jesus and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that that name, the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The rest of the story is that Jesus now rules and reigns. He is king of heaven and earth. He reigns. How glorious is that? In his ministry carrying on, we also need to recognize and remind ourselves that Jesus redeems. He redeems. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, that when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The Hebrew writer, of course, is drawing on the the picture of the Old Testament priesthood and how the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies to offer uh, sacrifice before the Lord for the sins of the people. But the Hebrew writer sees Jesus as being the great high priest, the ultimate high priest. And he has entered into a sanctuary, not made by hands, not of this creation. He has entered into the heavenly sanctuary. He has entered into the very presence of God himself there before the throne of God. And he has come not by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood. And in doing that has secured an eternal redemption for us. That night when Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper with his apostles there in the upper room, he told them as he shared the cup with them that this was the blood that he was shedding for them uh, that would purchase the new covenants, that would provide means of redemption, salvation, reconciliation, that by shedding his blood 
and entering into the Holy of Holies there in heaven before God himself, Jesus Christ is now able to redeem us fully and eternally from all of our sin. That's glorious good news. Salvation is available for all who would believe in Jesus Christ. The rest of the story is that Jesus reigns, Jesus redeems, but it also is that Jesus represents. In his ascension, as he went back before the Father, Jesus has gone on our behalf. He serves as a high priest, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. One who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we can draw near to the throne of grace. When I always think about the book of Hebrews and the attention that it gives to us regarding the the role of Jesus as the great high priest, um, I often think about a contemporary audience. What bearing does a high priest have upon them today? I mean, how many people you know that talk to you about a high priest in their conversation? I ain't never had that conversation with anybody outside the church. You want to get looked at real funny next time you're at Walmart, strike up a conversation with someone in the checkout line and ask them which priest they're going to see or, you know, what they think about a high priest. And man, they'll, they'll get away from you as fast as they can. May not be a bad tactic to employ if they've got a buggy full of groceries and you're short on time. Get them out of the way and advance in line a little bit quicker. So what do we do? The Hebrew writer telling us, Jesus, what bearing does that have upon us today? Here's what I think we've got to remind people of. How are you going to draw near to God? Because that was the role of the priest. He was the mediator between God and man. He was the one that would would serve as the bridge between the people and a holy God. So the role of Jesus as high priest is bringing us to the question of how are we going to draw near to a holy God? One who is perfectly just and righteous. One who is, is dwelling in, in unapproachable light. How are we, the, the, the idea of priest and the great, uh, the, 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 the high priest service of Jesus, it deals with this issue. How are we as sinners coming near to God? Well, the Hebrew writer is telling us as he uses this language of Jesus as our great high priest, is that through him and by him before the throne of God, we now have access with God and to God. This is the reason he said in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I imagine at some point in most people's lives, whether believers or not, for the sake of this argument that I'm giving you, we'll speak of unbelievers. At some point in their life, um, they cry out to God, don't they? They offer some sort of prayer to God. Maybe it's a tragic situation that they're faced with. Maybe it's a, uh, a prognosis of disease or sickness that doesn't look very good. And so they're, they're trying to, to cry out. They, they have this belief, even innate within them, that there is a God who is there. And so they're crying. But what confidence do they have that they can come near to that God and that that God hears their prayers? 
for many of them, it's just a shot in the dark. It's just a grasping at straws. It's just a, another hope so effort. But for us, for believers, the Hebrew writer tells us that because Jesus has ascended and is serving as our great high priest there in heaven before the throne of God himself, we can draw near with confidence and find grace that we may receive mercy, grace to help us in the time of need. We have confidence because of the ongoing ministry of Jesus today in heaven on our behalf. That's the rest of the story. Yes, Jesus accomplished all that was necessary for our salvation in the cross and the resurrection, but his ministry on behalf of his children, it carries on even today carries on as he represents us and ushers us into the presence of the Father above. So Christ ascended into heaven. His ministry continues on. But Luke also tells us in Acts 1 that the church is advancing here on earth. The church, the church of Jesus Christ, the church that he told Peter he would establish and build uh, in which the gates of hell would not prevail. The church is advancing here on earth earth. We're familiar with the conversation that Jesus had with Peter there in Matthew 16. He'd asked the question, who do people say that I am? And they gave all the responses that the crowds were saying. You're uh, Elijah, come back. You're Jeremiah. You're a great prophet. Then Jesus asked the personal inquiry, who do you say that I am? Peter gets it right this time. Give him, give him his props. Uh, For this moment, in this one sentence, because just a couple of verses later, he gets it wrong again. Uh, He's at that point telling Jesus, no, you're not going to the cross. You're not going to be crucified. That's never going to happen to you. He's like, come on, Peter, snap out of it, buddy. But in this case, he gets it right. And I guess we could say it's not so much that Peter got it right as the father helped him get it right. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Uh, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we hear Jesus say that about the church, we're inclined to think um, in the language of the gates of hell uh, that, 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 that hell is pushing back against the church. And certainly we have an enemy. We've talked about that in Ephesians 6 and spiritual warfare. And, and yes, he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the language that Jesus uses there as he speaks of the gates of hell is not a picture of, uh, of an offensive attack by the enemy. Gates were not an offensive weapon in Jesus' day. Gates served defensively. Peter knew that. Jesus' audience knew that. And that day, the gates were what kept the bad guys out and the good guys in, or the good guys out and the bad guys in. They were a defensive weapon. Get behind the gate and and be safe. Well, here's what Jesus is saying. His church will not be stopped by the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not keep the church from advancing in its mission. The, the defensive weaponry of our enemy, it, it can't, be, uh, can't be successful in what Jesus has designed and will do with his church. The, the mission of the church will succeed. It will overcome. It will prevail. 
The church will push through the enemy-occupied territory uh, that Satan has uh, obtained and will overcome. That's the reason Jesus is saying here uh, to the apostles in Acts, you're going to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. And the gates of hell won't keep you out of it. They will not prevail. They will not be successful. Jesus' ministry continues in heaven as he pleads our case, as he is our advocate. And then here on earth as his church advances his mission. And that brings us to the third and final thing tonight I would look at here in Acts Luke's message continues, Jesus' ministry continues, and the church's mission continues. This is verses 6 through 11. The church's mission continues. I think there's four important reminders that Jesus gives to his uh, followers before he ascends that we would do well to remember tonight. He tells them in verses 6 and 7 to stay focused. Stay focused. Verse 6, they've come together and they're asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Man, sometimes you just feel for these guys, don't you? (laughs) Sometimes I can relate to them really well because I just can't get it. And here again, they haven't quite got it yet. They're still focused in on this geopolitical entity. You're going to give the kingdom to Israel Jesus says to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He's basically telling them, don't get sidetracked. Remain focused on what I've called you to do, what I've commissioned you to do. Keep the main things the main things. It's amazing to me how easily we can drift, even in the church. How easily we can get sidetracked with Not necessarily unimportant things, but just lesser things. We forget the main focus. We want to get caught up in in our personal interests, in our hobby horses, and things that are particular perhaps to us or appealing to us. And Jesus says, no, I've got something much more important for you than just thinking about the kingdom of Israel. I need you to think about getting the gospel out to the whole world. Stay focused. Stay focused. Then he tells them to rely on God's power. To rely on God's power. Verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We can't accomplish eternal work in earthly power. We can't do the work that Christ has commissioned us to do in our own energy, in our own effort. We've got to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of the lessons the Western church would do well to return to. In Western society, we'll just call it American culture, we've been successful in many things. Uh, We've advanced in many ways. We've uh, had many inventions and achieved uh, many seemingly impossible tasks. And we've adopted that same mentality in the church in a lot of ways. We can just be clever enough, ingenious, 
pragmatic. And we labor in the energy of our flesh and the ability that we have and the uh, the confidence that we have in ourselves, and we forget to lean upon the power of God. We forget we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to accomplish the work that God has called us to. The rest of the story is that Jesus has ascended to heaven. And one of the reasons he said he had to go to heaven was so he could send the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood it was better for him to return to heaven to be there with the Father, to leave us in this moment so that the Holy Spirit could then come. The Spirit of Christ could indwell us. He's promising them that power. He's promising them that possession here in the beginning of Acts. And of course it comes in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit descends the day of Pentecost. And man, it's it's amazing what took place on that day as the church Uh, saw multitudes come to faith in Jesus Christ. How did that happen? The power of the Holy Spirit. So as we think about the rest of the story, as God's mission continues on, we must remind ourselves that we must rely on the power that God has provided to see the mission accomplished. We must labor in the energy of the Holy Spirit. Number three, as we think about the church's mission going on, We must get the gospel out. We must get the gospel out. Jesus told them in verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. It's where we get our word martyr from. And of course, the apostles would all go on to become martyrs for their faith. They would give their lives uh, for the gospel, for serving Christ, for preaching Christ. And it's a great uh, evidence that the gospel is real, that Christ did rise from the dead. I mean, these men were changed drastically uh, because they had an encounter with the risen, living Christ. They became his witnesses. They were willing to lay their lives down for a greater mission. Jesus told them, and Luke records, that this mission would cross geographical and cultural borders. You know that the Uh, The locations mentioned here by Jesus, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth, these concentric geographical circles uh, give structure to the book of Acts. That's how uh, it unfolds. That's how Luke records the expansion of the gospel. The gospel goes, the church is established in these regions and cultures. It's what we're called to be and called to do. There's a lot of good things that we can do. And we need to do those good things, but we need to always remember that those good things, those acts of service and kindness and those areas where we're we're serving our community as we hand out a cup of water, as we fill uh, empty bellies, as we put clothes on naked backs, all of those things are important and we need to do those things. But listen to me, the bottom line of doing those things is to share the gospel. To share the gospel. It does no good if we fill up a sinner's belly, but don't tell them how their souls can be filled as well. All we do is send a man to hell full rather than empty. We've got to be about sharing the gospel among our neighbors and to the nations. And then finally, as we think about the rest of the story and the church's mission, we need to be faithful until he comes. We need to be faithful until he comes. I get the apostles here in these first 11 verses. 
the others who were with them. Jesus has given them a final instruction. They're there, and suddenly off he goes. I'd probably just stand there and keep looking up myself. What? I mean, they didn't see the resurrection, but they saw the ascension. They were mesmerized. They were fixated. They were captivated. They're gazing into heaven. But then, Luke says, behold, two men standing by them in white robes look at them and say, why are you standing here looking up? Instead, why don't you start looking around and get busy? Why don't you go on with the mission that Jesus has given you? Now, part of the impetus for that mission is not only it's been given by a resurrected and ascended Christ, but it's been given by a Christ who said he's coming again. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. The rest of the story is that we've got to remain faithful till he comes. We've got to be faithful to the mission, to the task. We've got to be faithful to getting the gospel out. Oh, we rejoice that Jesus has been raised. We celebrate the resurrection. But let us not forget his return. The rest of the story is that he is coming again. We don't know when that will be. But I do know that it will be glorious and it will be climactic. But until that day, let's remember the rest of the story. Let's remember that the message continues, the ministry of Christ continues, the church's mission continues. Let's remain focused, relying on God's power, and get the gospel out. The rest of the story. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we serve a risen Savior, that Jesus Christ is alive today. And Father, we know that he is there at your right hand. And there he intercedes on our behalf. There his sacrifice secures our salvation for all eternity. There he pleads for us. And Father, we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we want to be found faithful to the mission that he has given us. Lord, let us not get sidetracked. Let us not become fixated on lesser things. Let us always remember the main thing. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, may we always be about getting the gospel out, sharing the glorious good news that only through Jesus Christ we can be reconciled with you. Only through Jesus can we come near to a holy God. So Father, give us great boldness to be faithful witnesses who will lay down our lives for that cause here upon this earth. And Father, may we be faithful until he comes. I pray tonight for Poplar Springs that this church would be faithful. That we'd be unwavering, steadfast, abounding always in the work of the Lord until that day when Jesus comes again. And Father, we pray for that day to come quickly. And Lord, for these here with us tonight, God, would you be with them? Would you bless them? 
Would they go rejoicing in their Savior? With the joy of the Lord as their strength, the Holy Spirit leading and guiding them. And Father, would you bless them and keep them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.